0: Initial therapy for patients with gastroparesis often centers on dietary changes and short-acting drug therapy. If first-line therapy proves ineffective, however, there isn't always a whole lot else we can do to help patients with refractory gastroparesis. However, some small studies have explored the idea of using botulinum toxin as a mode of therapy. What's its mechanism of action in the setting of gastroparesis, and what is the current thinking on its efficacy? You're listening to ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Focus on Pharmacy. I'm your host. Dr. Charles Turk, PharmD. Our guest is Dr. Evelyn Hermes Desantis, director of the Drug Information Service at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and clinical associate professor at the Ernest Mario School of Pharmacy at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. Dr. Desantis, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much, Dr. Turk.
0: You've written a review of the literature surrounding botulinum toxins' use for refractory gastroparesis in the past. Uh, How did that subject come to your attention?
1: came up as a, originally as a drug information question in one of our formulary requests for use by our gastroenterologists in our endoscopy suite. What
0: are the complications of gastroparesis, uh, just to provide some context, and in whom does it occur most commonly?
1: Well, when we look at gastroparesis, again, we're having a delayed gastric emptying that's occurring that can cause symptoms of nausea, vomiting, postprandial abdominal fullness, and more upper GI type of symptoms. Unfortunately, you know, if it was just minor symptoms and as well as disconcerting and uncomfortable as those may be, it's really the more severe cases that come into an issue where we're seeing such as weight loss due to malnutrition. We can actually see these formations that could actually be life-threatening if solid food and a mass cannot enter into the small intestines and also fluctuations in blood glucose levels, which really leads into the that this most likely occurs in tends to be our diabetic patients, with about 20 to 40 percent of patients with diabetes having some form of gastroparesis.
0: How is gastroparesis most commonly treated? What what are the standards of care?
1: Really, the standards of care really first focus upon dietary manipulation, smaller meals spaced throughout the day, and then also going into the pharmacotherapies of antiemetics and prokinetic agents. But really, our pharmacotherapies pharmacological armamentarium is very limited in what we have for these patients.
0: So what are the options after those patients uh, fail to respond to first-line treatment options?
1: Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot in terms of progressing past those first-line therapies, and in some patients we're looking at placing a G-tube, J-tubes, Actually, some cases, they're implanting gastric electric stimulators and now looking at even injection with botulinum toxin.
0: So, botulinum toxin for refractory gastroparesis. Uh, Jumping back for a second, how exactly is botulinum toxin commercially available?
1: It is commercially available in a powder for injection. It comes in a 100-unit vial that then is diluted down to whatever strength you're looking for.
0: How is it administered?
1: In this case, it's actually injected endoscopically into the pylorus, into the four quadrants.
0: And how does it work?
1: That's what actually gets pretty interesting from a pharmacological perspective. There are three basic mechanisms of how botulinum toxin works. And what's kind of neat about the drug is that this is how it works for all of its uses, both approved and unapproved, and even some of the more off-labeled and far off-labeled uses. First and foremost, it actually binds to acceptor sites on the motor and sympathetic nerve terminus. And by getting absorbed and accepted into those nerve cells and entering into the nerve terminals, it's binding to some of the proteins in there that stop the cascade of release of neurotransmitters such as acetylcholine. By inhibiting the release of acetylcholine, it now will stop any of the muscle contractions and the whole basically denervation of the area.
0: Was that just one of the three mechanisms of action?
1: Well, that's kind of how all three mechanisms, the binding at the acceptor sites, the inclusion into the nerve terminus, and now the suppression of the acetylcholine are kind of those three steps in the mechanism that I was talking about.
0: Now, just to be clear, is, is botulinum toxin approved for gastroparesis?
1: It is not approved for gastroparesis. Really, when we look at botulinum toxin A, and please realize that there are different, there are actually seven different serotypes of botulinum toxins, so when we do talk about them, we do have to be very specific as to which of them we're speaking of because they all act slightly differently depending on what protein they bind to. So in botulinum toxin A, it is not approved for um, diabetic gastroparesis or rhandon gastroparesis and really when we look at it in outside of the cosmetic uses where most people think about botulinum, and uh, toxin and botox, really we're looking at its approval in cervical dystonia, muscle spasticity, blepharospasms, strabismus are really the one the areas where it is FDA approved.
0: So, so what's the literature support for using botulinum toxin type A for gastroparesis?
1: Unfortunately, there's not a lot out there. There are a few case reports, case series, and some open-label trials that look very impressive when you do evaluate those articles. And the bottom line on all of them is that it does appear to work and does improve the gastric emptying time and improve symptoms in patients.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Focus on Pharmacy on ReachMD Radio XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Charles Turk. Our guest is Dr. Evelyn Hermes DeSantis, Director of the Drug Information Service at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and Clinical Associate Professor at the Ernest Mario School of Pharmacy at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. We're discussing the use of botulinum toxin for refractory gastroparesis. And Dr. DeSantis, I was wondering if you could go into some of the details of, uh, of some of those case reports or studies that have looked at botulinum toxin for gastroparesis?
1: Well, certainly. One of the first ones was a small case series of about six patients, and this was by Ezidine and colleagues. And they looked at utilizing 100 units of the botulinum toxin A injected into the pyloric sphincter in diabetic gastroparesis patients. And really what we saw here was that the mean gastric emptying was, only, was less than 30% at baseline in these patients. And after a single injection, a single ther- therapy, 48 hours later, that 30%, or actually it was 27%, increased to 44%. And at six weeks, it was now up to 50, almost 50%. So really starting to see some improvement in those patients' gastric emptying. Lacey and colleagues did another open-labeled study, and again in small and fortunate numbers, of only eight patients. And here they were looking at utilizing 200 units of the botulinum toxin A and really were looking much more at symptom scores and then also looking specifically at what that gastric emptying time looked at. And what we saw was overall all the symptom scores significantly improved from baseline. And then the gastric emptying went from 300 and... 39 minutes, it actually dropped down to 227 minutes in those patients who were treated. The kind of the neat thing about that particular study is, again, looking at those symptoms and looking at how this actually impacts patients' quality of life. At both week 8 and week 12, six out of those patients actually reported weight gain, which, as we mentioned in the beginning of this interview, weight loss is one of those serious complications of gastroparesis. In a chart review, Broomer looked at 63 patients who met their criteria, and out of those 63, almost 43% responded to gastroparesic therapy with the botulinum toxin, either 100 or 200 units, and tended to respond for about five months, which was really nice to see of how long this injection is going to last because that's the other question that does come up is, okay, if it works, how long does that one injection last? So it does look to last between three to six months, with the average of being about four to five months. And the final case series that we looked into was by Miller that took 10 patients that had idiopathic gastroparesis and used 80 to 100 units of the botulinum toxin in those patients and, again, saw responses. Gastric retention was 27% at baseline and actually decreased down to 14% after about four weeks. So again, overall, we're really seeing some improvement. And all of these were patients who had been refractory and failed conventional therapies.
0: In which patient populations would we definitely want to avoid using botulinum toxin type A?
1: Anybody who has uh, peripheral motor neuropathic disease or neuromuscular junction disorders are really are people that we should not be utilizing botulinum toxin type A in because of the possibility of dysphagia and respiratory compromise.
0: And just to review for those of our listeners who don't use botulinum toxin in routine practice, uh, what are some of the most common adverse effects that we might expect to see with the agent?
1: The most common general adverse effects that they do that are seen with this is a localized pain. Tenderness, you know, when they talk about injection, injecting this, most of our information comes from its use, again, in cervical dystonia, the bletherospasms, and in those cases, it's much more of a localized reaction. Of course, anaphylaxis may occur. They you know, always say that. It is a biological in that regard. Really, in terms of all of the literature that's available, botulinum toxin really had no adverse effects associated with it, Theoretically, what we can think of that could happen is a fibrosis of the pylorus, formation to the antibodies of the drug, and a worsening of the gastric emptying if the agent actually affects the antrum instead of the specific pylorus valve.
0: So putting it all together, what do we take away from what the literature has to say about botulinum toxin for the off-label use for gastroparesis?
1: I think if patients have failed management with small, frequent meals, other dietary restrictions, have failed the prokinetic, the antiemetic therapy, botulinum toxin becomes one of the options for those patients who have failed basically everything else. Utilization of it, and again, it's divided equal doses into each of the quadrants of the pylorus valve, gives us the opportunity of being able to treat these patients with an option that they did not have before.
0: And how much does uh, treatment typically cost, at least from an acquisition cost perspective?
1: Acquisition cost, again, looking at the average wholesale price, for about 100 units of botulinum toxin, you're looking at about $580. Unfortunately, the other portion of that that you do need to consider is the fact that this has to be administered endoscopically, which does increase the cost of the product. And again, it is a lasting maybe only three to five months, three to six months. So there is frequent dosing throughout the year of that.
0: And so in in summation, what are the limitations or from your perspective of the uh, the literature in support of botulinum toxin for gastroparesis?
1: Trying to approach this as a very focused evidence-based medicine approach, we are very limited in what we have. Unfortunately, as we went through, we only have case series open label trials. There are no double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trials currently available. And that really is our gold standard as we're looking at what the evidence has to say. I think what we're seeing is an option for patients who are at at the last leg of not sure where else to go for treatment, and we're seeing beneficial results. Hopefully, as this is an area of interest, there will be those randomized double-blind studies available for these patients.
0: We've been talking with Dr. Evelyn Hermes DeSantis about the potential efficacy of botulinum toxin for refractory gastroparesis. Uh, Dr. DeSantis, thank you so much for joining us.
1: It was my pleasure, Dr.
0: Turk. I'm Dr. Charles Turk. You've been listening to Focus on Pharmacy on ReachMD Radio XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. and Thank you for listening.